Hi everyone, happy Wednesday. Thanks for joining me again on this second episode of Lessons from Joshua. Let me warn you, as I said in the title to this video, if you are not serious about God, please, please do not watch this video. Shut it off right now and whatever you do, do not watch any further. I'll give you just a second. Why did I say that? The reason I said that is because everything that you hear about God, you are responsible for. So if you are absolutely just not serious about God, then you don't need to hear this because God is going to hold you responsible for this. You know, sometimes people come to me and they want me to pray for them or they want me to explain scripture to them or they want me to do this or me to do that. And the reason they do is because I've devoted my entire life to God and they see me as a professional Christian and they don't see themselves as one. Well, everybody is a professional Christian if you're a Christian. And so that's a very dangerous thing. If you want to be a Christian and just have fire insurance, just stay out of hell, then you don't need to learn anything besides uh, John 3.16 because everything else that you learn, you are responsible for. To that end, if you are still watching this video and you do want to know what I have to say about Joshua and what the lessons are that we learn from him, then please understand that you are human and you cannot physically walk in every concept and every precept that you've ever learned about God. That's why we have the Holy Spirit to teach us how to do that. We have Jesus to illuminate scripture. We have God to give us his grace. You know, something I pray all the time is, Lord, help me to live in the ministry of my life in every concept and every precept that I've ever learned from you. Help me to represent you correctly because you just don't do it naturally. Of course, the natural mind is enmity with the spiritual mind. And so if you let yourself just go, you're just going to live however you're going to live. So I just want to encourage you that if you are still watching this video because you are serious about God, that number one, what you're about to learn is so astounding that it's going to change your walk forever. Number one, number two, that you don't have to be so strict on yourself that you can't let yourself slip up. God is faithful even when you are faithless. So please rely on God even to keep you doing what he's taught you to do. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about today is Joshua. I want to talk about why you want to learn these lessons from Joshua. Joshua is an Old Testament figure. If you're serious about God, you know that there's a book written about him called Joshua. You know that he went into the land of Canaan and spied it out with the spies of Israel. And that's about as much as most people know about Joshua. If you're very new to the faith, you probably don't know very much. But either way, most people don't see Joshua as a hero of the faith. They don't see Joshua as someone we can learn from. Well, I'm here to tell you that every bit of scripture is used for our edification um, and for our education so that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's what it's there for, so that we can learn from other people's situations. And when we read that, God can tell us what we need to take from that particular situation that someone else faced. Because the principles are the same, even if the events are different. So let's talk about Joshua. Now we first see Joshua in the book of Numbers when he's numbered with the children of Israel. So if you don't know, let me just give you a short recap. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt. 
and they've gotten the rules for their behavior at Mount Sinai. God has supernaturally provided for them, and he says, I have a place I want you to go, an inheritance. It's called the promised land, and it's actually a land that was already inhabited by other occupants, and it's called the land of Canaan, and so they get done with getting all the rules from Mount Sinai. They get done with all of their um, miracle provisions, right? And God says, okay, I've brought you through the desert. I've brought you through these miracles. Now I want you to live a blessed life. I'm going to put you in a place that you've inherited so that you can live a blessed life. And this is what God does. He does this in our life. He doesn't want you living from miracle to miracle to miracle because the reason for that is because if you have to live from miracle to miracle to miracle, that means you go from trauma to trauma to trauma. Okay. Now I have seen my share of miracles while we're on the subject. I have seen two people raised from raised from the dead through my own hand and my own word. I've had two cancers fall completely out of my body. I have seen my horse healed, my leg healed. I've had financial, excuse me, I've had financial provision of over $50,000, over $100,000. I've had supernatural things happen to me and to other people where um, legal situations have manifested ward against us and God has just completely dispersed those enemies have risen in front of our face one way and God has made them flee seven different directions. So I've seen miracles and miracles and miracles on top of miracles. But God doesn't want me living like that because to get those miracles, I had to go through the trauma that caused me needing a miracle. And every single time I went through a miracle and God is so gracious, he was trying to warn me before the situation ever became so drastic that I needed a miracle. Every one of those situations, God sent a warning to me and I ignored it. So going from a miracle to a miracle to a miracle is not God's will. He wants you to live in your inheritance. He wants you to live a blessed life. That's what he wanted for the children of Israel. He wanted them to know that he's the God of miracles, know that he's the God of provision, and then move on to his inheritance that he'd called them to, and he would provide sort of covertly or a little bit on the down low, if you will, through through that inheritance. So what we have is we have Moses plus about two to four million Jews that came out of Egypt, and now they've gone to Mount Sinai, they've received the, the commandments, they know how to behave themselves, they know what to do and what not to do, and God says, okay, good, now let's go into the promised land. Now this is about day 11 after they've left Egypt, so this is a relatively short amount of time, okay? The journey from Egypt to Canaan is 11 days, and that's all it was supposed to take them was 11 days. But if you know the story, you know that you know that it took them 40 years, and we're going to get into that, but right now we're talking about Joshua. So they go, and they're right on the edge of Canaan. And Moses, of course, is the leader, and he speaks to God, and God says, Moses, I want you to do something. I want you to send out 12 spies into the land of Canaan so that you can spy out the land. So Moses sends, and he's very direct, God. He says, I want you to send out one male the head of each one of the tribes of Israel, because there are 12 tribes. He says, send them out and spy out the land. So Moses sends out every male representation from their tribe, and there's 12 of them, okay? So they go, and they go to Canaan, and they see everything in there, and there are grapes that are so big that they cannot carry them. They have to carry them on their shoulder 
on a pole with the grapes in between them. You know, a huge grapes taller than myself that weigh more than myself. You know, I have a really, really strong husband and he can pick me up no problem. But if I weighed double or triple the weight that I do, he probably couldn't pick me up. So I want you to think about these people that are carrying these grapes that are going in to spy out the land of Canaan. These are strong humans. Why? Because first of all, they've spent their life in Egypt making brick out of nothing and mortar, which is, it's physical. You have to take the mud and the straw and you pound it all day long, right? And then they've gathered up their entire household and their entire family and they've taken them across the desert for an 11 day journey. And God has supernaturally provided for them what they need to eat manna from heaven. And so they're physically at the top of their game at this point. So these men couldn't carry the grapes because the provision was so big. You know, God says that he wants to give us exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. So people don't understand that. When you think about that verse, that God wants to give you exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. Think about the grapes that they brought back from the land of Canaan. That they were so big. In your mind, visualize this. Visualize this. They're so big that two grown men at the top of their physical condition have to carry the grapes suspended on a pole between them because they are so big. Okay? So why am I telling you this story about these grapes? Because here's what God does. He always gives more than enough. Why does he do this? He gives you more than enough so that you can be filled and so that you can share with everybody. That's really important because these are actual grapes. It's an actual fruit. But what does God say? That he wants to have your fruit, the fruit of the spirit to manifest, not just for you, but for everybody else. And while we're on the subject, sometimes people can pray for other people. People can um, give their bodies to be sacrificed. They can give all their money and tithes. They can work tirelessly with a mission and they die early of cancer. Why do they do that? The Bible says that if you do all that stuff and you don't do it out of love, it won't profit you anything. So the same concept goes here. These guys have this huge bundle of grapes and if they hoard it for themselves, then it's not going to profit them anything. They're going to get sick. And if they they just, to make a big showing of the thing, they give all their grapes away and they're not doing it out of love. It's not going to profit them anything because they don't receive their own fruit. Okay. And so I want you to remember that this is the first lesson in Joshua is that if you are Joshua and if you are in the body of Christ, you are Joshua in some way, you are called to share the fruit that you've collected from the world around you with the people that are in the body of Christ and those who would come into the body of Christ. That's the very first lesson from Joshua is that the fruit is for you and then it's through you to go to someone else, right? You're in charge of the big bunch of grapes. You eat enough for yourself and then you start handing out the grapes. Do you understand? So that's the very first lesson. Now, why did God choose Joshua? We're going to get into this later in this series about Joshua's being chosen and that happens in the book of Joshua but right now we're in numbers chapters 13 and chapters 14 and so Joshua is one of these 12 spies okay so when these 12 spies come back from Canaan they've got this bunch of grapes suspended right and all of them start talking to the elders and they start talking to the entire group 
entire congregation of the children of Israel. And the children of Israel are excited. They, they want to go into the land. They, they want, they, they've just seen these grapes and they're like, yes, we're, we, we've had manna, but this is awesome that God is, you know, a God of variety and we get to have grapes and this is awesome. Phenomenal. Their report is that it's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what the report is that the 12 spies bring back to Israel, that it's a land flowing with milk and honey, exactly like God said it was, right? So these, these children of Israel are so excited, right? And that's what happens. So what we find is that if you find a pastor that really hits it on the head or that is coming to town and he's had miracle after miracle after miracle. In other words, you go to him and if you're in a wheelchair, you're out of the wheelchair when you go see this guy. Or if you need a financial miracle, immediately you've got it. Or you have a family member who you've been praying for to get saved. You go see this guy, he prays over them, they're saved. Imagine if you hear of a, of a person like that coming to your town. I don't know about you, but I'd be the first one in the door because I love to see the work of God. I absolutely love that. Now, I don't rely on somebody coming to my town to get a manifestation of God because I know so much, but there are some people who do. And if you don't know how to manifest God, that's exactly what you're going to do. And that's exactly what was happening with the children of Israel. They didn't know. They weren't sent to go into the land of Canaan and spy it out. So they themselves didn't see it. They themselves didn't obtain this fruit. They're getting the fruit that somebody else obtained. And that's exactly what happens when you go see a prophet, when you go see a preacher, when you go anywhere outside of your own Bible and your own prayer time to get somebody else's take on the word of God. You're going to seek fruit that somebody else has gathered and is bringing to you. And that's exactly what's happened. And so when you do that, you're naturally very excited. Some people, of course, are skeptical until they see the fruit and then they're excited. So that's what's going on with the children of Israel at this moment. They're very excited. They're like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait. I want to do this, right? Same thing with the elders. So then something happens. 10 of the spies, now remember there were 12, 10 of the spies say yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And yes, these grapes came from this land. But, ha, huh, there are giants in the land. Now, when I say giants, I want you to be mindful of what I'm talking about. I'm not going to go into why there were giants or why they were physically giants. That's a whole different lesson. But when I say giants, I'm talking like 9 foot 6 to 12 feet. These people that were in the land of Canaan were giants. They weren't just mighty men. They were giants, right? So imagine the children of Israel who are normal sized at the most six foot and they see somebody who's nine foot, 10 foot, 11 foot, 12 foot. And they're supposed to go and they're supposed to take the land from a 12 foot human being. And so they get this report, excuse me, the children of Israel get this report from their brethren. And in Numbers 13, verse 32, it says that, that the brethren, the spies, brought the congregation a bad report. I just really want to read this to you because this is such a huge verse. So follow along with me in Numbers chapter 13, verse 32. Numbers 13, 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Verse 33. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, come from the giants. 
and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So you heard that verse. They're saying, yes, there are these giants in the land, and yes, we were grasshoppers in their sight, so we were in our own sight. This is a profound verse because what is happening is that God said, go possess the inheritance that I've given you. And here's the fruit to prove that it's real, to prove that I'm real. And these 10 boys bring back this, oh yes, the fruit's real, the land's real, but there are giants in there. And they say something so profound, so meaningful. They say, we were grasshoppers in their sight, and so we were in our own sight. And that's exactly what happens, isn't it? Because say you need a healing. Say you've gotten diagnosed with some incurable disease. You become a grasshopper in the sight of the doctor, and so you become a grasshopper in your own sight. I'm going to give you my story, partially. The very first time that I had a cancer fall out of me, actually, what happened was I had gone to the doctor and received um, information that I had cells that could cause cancer. And they call it a negative pap smear, I believe is what they call that. And so they said, wait six months. Sometimes it's a fluke thing. Come back in six months. So six months go by and I'm praying this whole time and I'm seeking the word of the Lord. And I go back in six months and they said, you still got these cells. Come back in six months. Now we're talking a year later. So I come back in another six months. You still got the cells come back in six months. So I come back another six months, a year and a half after the first time somebody said this awful thing to me, I go back and the doctor says, okay, listen, nothing's changing. I'm going to take a biopsy. So it takes a biopsy, says, come back in two weeks. Now let me tell you about those two weeks. Those two weeks, I was very, very, very tempted to talk about and to get down in the mouth about and to cry and to whine to those closest to me. But you know something? Not one person, not my family, not my mother, not my children, not my friends, no one knew about what I had received. No one had any idea of this report. I would not speak about it. And I'm going to tell you why, but I'm first going to finish the story. So I go back after the biopsy is run three weeks later and the doctor um, does some more tests. And she says to me, you know, these cells should have caused cancer but they didn't. You don't have any cancer. And I knew that I didn't have any cancer. And I actually said to her, I told you, Jesus Christ is my healer in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that entire time, that entire year and a half, that entire three weeks, right up to the result, the, the doctor's result, the result was given to me 2000 years ago. The doctor recognizing that result, there were lots of times that I could have been tempted and that I was tempted to get off and to speak of the bad report that has been given to me. In fact, the day that I went, for, went in for my biopsy results, the devil put three different women within earshot of me talking about ovarian cancer and cervical cancer and all these kinds of female-related cancers on purpose to scare me. And I made myself use the weapons of my warfare that were spiritual to bring down those strongholds. And in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you that you've healed me. And I ran the devil backwards on, and I stood him back on his feet and I backed him off and I didn't have cancer. 
That's just the first story. There is another one, but I'm not going to go into that now. Why didn't I get down in the mouth? Why didn't I talk about it? Why didn't I even research it? Why? Because of what God says in Numbers 13.32. He says that, he, that these spies brought an evil report. So you're probably wondering what an evil report is. In the New King James, it calls it a bad report. What's a bad report? What's an evil report? Because sometimes I talk to Christians and they think that they don't speak evil because they don't cuss out people. They don't talk about how bad people are. They don't attack people with their mouths, right? They don't talk about how they're going to die earlier, how they're cursed with this curse or that curse. So they think that they don't speak evil. They're not rude. But let me tell you what speaking evil is, what an evil report is. An evil report is speaking about anything at all that threatens the word and the inheritance of God. That's exactly what an evil report is. And so what you have is an evil report is anything that speaks against the inheritance. Yes, you can have, yes, God can heal you, but he might have to do it through a doctor. Yes, God can deliver you, but he, you might have to go through some stuff first. Yes, God can set you um, out of this financial hardship, but you might have to get a second job because there's no physical way that this can happen. Anytime your natural mind comes in and raises oppositions to the possibility of actually receiving the inheritance of God by doing what he told you to do, that is an evil or a bad report. And I am cautioning you now, do not speak them. Because why? Because death and life are in the power of your tongue. Proverbs 18.21. All right, I'm going to end it here. Please, please understand that if you've seen this, you are responsible. And I'm believing that now, from now on, from this moment, that when you go and you speak, that God is going to bring to your understanding if you are speaking an evil report and you need to listen to him. You need to repent immediately and ask God what you should say because the absolute worst thing you can do is allow your mouth to run off, especially when you're faced with something that threatens the inheritance of God. All right, you guys, I'm going to wrap this up. And I just wanted to tell you so much that I love you. But most importantly, oh, please receive this. Jesus loves you. We'll see you next time.